You're listening to the Bitcoin.com podcast. Our guests today are Raymond and Hadil from Trial.io. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by various guests or sponsors of the podcast are solely their own. They do not necessarily reflect those of the podcast host or the other people, entities, or organizations affiliated with the creation or production of the podcast. The guest and sponsor may consider their information reliable, but others involved in the creation or presentation of the podcast do not warrant the accuracy of guest or sponsor information, and it should not be relied upon. This episode is brought to you by Trial.io. Trial brings Web 3.0 to medical research by creating a digital ecosystem of blockchain-integrated software solutions to secure and streamline the development of new vaccines and therapeutics during clinical trials. To learn more, visit trial.io. That's T-R-I-A-L-L dot I-O. I'm your host, Dustin Planholt. Join us as we dive into the world of economics, politics, tech, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency. For even more crypto-related news, sign up at news.bitcoin.com or follow us on Twitter at Bitcoin.com. Now let's bring on our guest. Adil and Raymond, welcome to the Bitcoin.com podcast. Thank you very much, uh, Dustin. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. Now, before we dig into trial, I'd like to get to know the story of the person. You know, How did you first get introduced to Bitcoin, to cryptocurrency, specifically to the blockchain? I'm going to start that with you, Adil. How did you get introduced to it? Yeah, sure. So uh, there are basically uh, two stories that led up to us founding Trial. Um, it started with our own interest, right? We have a few crypto uh, crypto savvy folks on board, uh, you know, that like the crypto world a lot and also the underlying technology. Um, and they were actually, you know, instrumental to back in 2016 already to you know really start unraveling some of the implications and, and some of the usability of blockchain as a technology in life sciences so that was at the time where bitcoin was getting to know you know uh, uh, more and more familiar right towards the larger audience um, and we actually ended up writing a nice publication in science eh, about the utility and use of blockchain into life sciences um, yeah ray maybe you can you, you can add your views there Sure, sure. So I think uh, also around 2016, 2017, I got acquainted with Adil. Uh, I sort of fell, <laughs> in, in, in Dutch we say, with my nose in the butter, uh, meaning there was a lot of stuff happening there. Uh, research was being done into the implications of, uh, of blockchain. Um, and we were basically looking at how can we apply this technology uh, within the clinical trial space. So there were several issues, persistent issues that we identified uh, that make clinical trials overly complex, lengthy, and resource inefficient. And we saw many possibilities for applying this technology to streamline and secure clinical trial processes. Uh, so I think uh, it was late 2017 that we started building trial together. And that uh, eventually led to us building a uh, yeah, fully grown business. Now, tell me about in terms of the utility side, because you know, how do we blend blockchain with life sciences? How do you do that? And talk us through the process. Yeah, so these are obviously two different worlds. You could almost say completely different worlds. 
But yet again, there's a lot of value for both. So on one end, we see on the clinical trial space that this space is uh, digitalizing at a rapid pace. So it's becoming more digital. It's also becoming more decentralized. And on the other side, in the blockchain space, there's a lot of innovation being done. There's a lot of new technologies being developed that have wide implications, not only for clinical trials, but also for different industries. Uh, think of the use of blockchain to promote data integrity and auditability, but also the use of blockchain-enabled uh, um, concepts and, and standards, such as decentralized identity for uh, decentralized identity and access management. Interesting. Yeah, now, I think- from your side, yeah, I mean, give us from your perspective. Yeah, sure. I think that, you know, the uh, last year's shift uh, in, in, in how we manage and operate and how we look at clinical trials, uh, you know, has really, you know, pushed us into a direction where remote management, right, risk-based management, having to change the way how we look at organizing and conducting clinical trials has pushed us in the direction of looking and adopting new technologies, and blockchain as an underlying concept has the potential to solve a lot of these problems. Um, we talk to many stakeholders in the life science arena that really feel that this is the right time, right, to start solving some of the persistent problems on one hand, but also make sure that we're ready for the future, right, where digitalization is an important trend, personalized medicine is very important, plus, you know, the fact that making sure that you can continue your clinical trial, right, on the very difficult circumstances where you usually are used to going to a trial site, right, physically looking at documents. We now found ourselves uh, in a position where we cannot do that due to the COVID pandemic, but also due to the trends that clinical trials are getting very cost, costly um, and very lengthy. So you see that regular rigid entities like regulators are also pushing the whole life science field towards looking at new and innovative ways to manage, uh, coordinate and oversee your clinical trials. And again, we think that blockchain uh, enabled technologies in combination with digitalization, in combination with, you know, with interoperability, right? Connecting different parties, connecting data, different data streams effectively and efficiently, you know, will help us to a new way of working. And, and as Ray mentioned, the so-called Web 3.0 concept is something that we really think is promising uh, moving forward. So what I'm hearing is that this technology, the integration aspect, will ultimately help to improve outcomes. For sure. So. I mean, what we're really focusing on is is streamlining clinical trials and thereby shortening the time to market of new vaccines and therapeutics into society. That's that's really our core mission. Uh, And I think the implications uh, are yet to be uh, fully uh, understood. Uh, What I mean with that is we are starting and we're starting building this this ecosystem, how we call it, an ecosystem consisting of different blockchain integrated software solutions. But next to developing our own solutions, we're also really focusing on integrating with third party software providers, uh, which allows them uh, to yeah, synergize with our infrastructure, which provides them with an easy entry into blockchain and also allows us allows them to communicate with other software solutions that are already connected to our platform. 
And by doing that, we gradually want to shape what we call a digital ecosystem for clinical trials. And I think right now it's really difficult to grasp how big that ecosystem is going to be. I think, Dustin, to what you said, you know, you really hit, you know, the nail on the head there, that we think that the quality of data that is being generated, uh, you know, will also improve. Uh, we think that we can focus on the so-called key performance indicators, right? The, the ones that really deserve attention and that we can uh, uh, basically, you know, provide the resource where they're needed and also left processes or groups untouched if we feel they do not pose a risk in terms of, you know, the whole clinical trial processes. So we are basically able to focus on what's really important and thereby also demonstrate the endpoints eh, that we have set out to demonstrate as part of a clinical trial. Interesting perspective. So I just wrote myself a note here. Talk about the privacy aspect. I mean, talk about what does that improve? I mean, I look at it from my perspective and I don't profess to be an expert on the subject, but when it comes to intellectual property, I have to imagine that a number of these organizations and companies around the world that are, that are developing on the clinical trial aspect that to them, their IP is their entire future. Um, and talk about that. How do they protect it? How does the blockchain give them that, that the traditional systems in the past that, that I would say have friction? Talk about that aspect. Yeah, so I think it's very important to make a distinction between what data is being stored on-chain and what data is being stored off-chain. And as simple as it sounds, um, it's, it's, it's super important, especially considering that in clinical trials, you are amassing massive amounts of confidential data, quite often personal identifiable information. Uh, we are also a European com company, so we need to comply with GDPR rules. Uh, and as a company operating in a clinical trial space, we also need to comply with strict regulations and quality standards. So as an innovator within the blockchain space, these are all different factors that you need to take into account. And I think uh, what really helps here is that we also have uh, several advisors um, active in quality and compliance that help us with uh, testing, the validation, and the design of all of our software applications. Well, to sort of briefly touch upon that privacy aspect, uh, there are multiple ways to go about that. Um, one way is, of course, uh, hashing, but another way, and that's really the way that we see as the way forward, is using these decentralized identifiers, which are essentially identifiers living on the blockchain that refer to the actual original data, which is being stored off-chain within a private cloud-based repository. And by using a setup like that, uh, we can actually uh, leverage these unique properties uh, of blockchain to uh, promote data integrity, auditability, traceability, without getting into any privacy-related uh, issues. So then ideal customer, I mean, ideal, who are you targeting around the world? Like, who is the right person for you to connect with? Yeah, so... We, we think that anybody, any entity that does not have a good clinical operations infrastructure, right, uh, is, 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 can basically and should basically benefit from the trial ecosystem. Um, 
So there is a lot of research that is being done and, and initiated by investigators, right? So doctors at a hospital that see a specific unmet medical need and think, you know, and feel and have the, the funding to do something about that. But they do not necessarily have the right tools to oversee a complex process like a clinical trial. They do not necessarily have the so-called operational excellence, right? To make sure that whatever they conduct is within specifications, timelines, uh, budgets, and the other specifications with regards to, you know, uh, the products, uh, the regulatory requirements. So what we try to do is we really try to help them um, by providing this ecosystem, this one place where they will find a completely validated toolkit that will help them with planning purposes, but will also give them the right subject matter experts for all these different domains, all interconnected into one place. So the only thing they would need to do is uh, you know is is need to is need to log on to the trial ecosystem right and then we will guide them throughout all the different phases of the clinical trials freeing their time to spend on you know their subject matter expertise that is often you know expertise in the disease area uh, their access and interactions with the patients right because also for us the patient always comes first so anything that we build we look at it from a patient perspective uh, and see that we not only comply with the regulations, but also make sure that it helps the patients in terms of complying with clinical trials eh? and that we also keep the patients engaged throughout the life cycle of the clinical trial. That, that sounds really remarkable because I, I come from a family uh, where there's a number of healthcare providers in it, you know, and I look at it from the, the quality of life aspect. You know, these, these doctors, they're, they're trying to give the best counsel but it's only based upon the information that they're being given or what they are seeing or through experience. And on the improving outcome side, that, that starts with the data in, the, the quality of the data being fed in, and then ultimately develop, you know, into developing the, the metrics, I'd say, around it to help you give those risks scores. So talk about that. I mean, the ecosystem itself, will it help them develop a scoring system or what will the underlying look uh, ultimately be? Uh, we, we, we should maybe start with the beginning by uh, looking at a very complex process that a patient has to deal with when they start a clinical trial. And that is the informed consent process, right? Uh, which is not always very easy to understand by patients. Eh? It's often a summary of the clinical trial, the objectives, the risk benefits for them, etc., etc. So... One of the things that we would like to do through the ecosystem is make sure that we present the informed consent in such a way uh, and tailor that to the need of the patients, right? So not give all the information at once, but make sure that at different moments in the clinical trial, you know, we highlight specific aspects of what, you know, we need the patient to comply with. Um, that is, I think, one aspect to tackle within the ecosystem so really the consenting and the providing the information at eh, a way that is attractive uh, but also uh, understandable by patients um, the other aspect is of course 
that we measure compliance of the patients, right? And that we help them, that we nudge them throughout the life cycle of a clinical trial. For instance, if we see somebody who has difficulties to remember their appointments, right? That the trial ecosystem is programmed to then help them and nudge them at the right moments in time. If we see somebody, you know, being very uh, uh, coherent with the visit schedule, right? Then we can incentivize them through several ways in the ecosystem. Um, we can explain after a study is done, right? We can give them a layman summary, right? Not only about their participation, but also explain the larger outcome of the study and also propose any future research avenues for them. Um, so that we make the whole clinical trial and patient engagement uh, really go hand in hand, where we now sometimes see patients being involved in the clinical trial as being a quote unquote subject, but not necessarily being given, you know, the right attention. With all the goodwill of the world, with the investigator and the site staff are giving, but the, uh, you know, but the, 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 uh, the, the tools and the systems that are used, they're not necessarily giving that right attention. Um, the other aspect is to make sure that it is user-friendly. So in many clinical trials, you see questionnaires being sent to the patients, right? These can be lengthy. Um, um, these can be difficult to understand, difficult to complete. Uh, and the quality uh, of the compliance or the quality of the overall clinical trial, you know, is, is, is being heavily impacted by how well a patient fills in a questionnaire, for instance. So I think there are many things that we can do uh, under the umbrella of patient engagement that we could do if we organize everything into one holistic ecosystem. Uh, at this moment, we see many different systems and data sets uh, that all comprise this big thing called clinical trial. But we really think that if we have uh, a fluid uh, you know, start from the information of the patient all the way to guiding them through the life cycle of a clinical trial, then it will result in higher compliance. We hope that the patient journey will also be more satisfactory for patients, right? Because we can explain it many times through visualizations, through reminders, through incentives, so that they also really feel that they have benefited, not only from the intervention, but also from the experience in participating in the clinical trial. Because if we don't have, for instance, volunteers, or patients that are sick, if we don't have them, right, raising up their hands and saying, yes, I would like to participate in the clinical trial, then we cannot advance the uh, towards the unmet medical needs as fast as we would like to. So we really need to give them the attention that they need and that they should have. And do you think that this is going to be the, the future of how data is collected, that it'll be through the blockchain? Absolutely. So... Um, what we already see within the current clinical trial landscape is that patients are um, quite often able to participate partly from their own home. This is actually a thing called decentralized clinical trials. Um, but of course, this decentralized model also brings new challenges, regulatory challenges, privacy challenges, and challenges uh, around ensuring that uh, data is secure, that data is coming from parties who say who they are. So we, we for sure see a role for blockchain in safeguarding uh, those data streams. Well, I, I think that's a fascinating kind of conversation around the digital identity aspect. You know, how do you, how do you make sure that, that somebody is exactly who they say they are? Um, 
And talk about that a little bit, Adil. I mean, when we're looking at the digital identity, you know, when someone's signing up on a website or what we think is the real them or the real avatar of them isn't always them, right? Yeah, that is true. Um, and and, and that, is a, that is one of the main reasons why many of the efforts in managing and operating a clinical trial means going to a physical location, right? And verifying actual physical documents eh? or verifying actual people that have been trained on specific processes. So if you can basically confirm somebody's identity and there are some difficult te technological you know, methodologies to do that, then it saves you a lot of so-called time on site eh? that you don't need to do or that you can spend in other ways. Um, because we have to deal with so many stakeholders, it is absolutely necessary that you exactly know who has contributed to the clinical trial, what their role was as part of this underlying audit trail, right? You need to be able to reproduce a, 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 um, a layer of documents that you can show to the regulators so the regulators know exactly uh, you know, how all the data was, was processed, uh, produced before they can give an approval towards marketing authorization, right? So basically uh, giving you the approval for the drug to be made available to patients, to pharmacies, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a real life issue where we think that blockchain can make a real life difference as well. Yeah, and I'd just like to point out that this goes for all different levels. So we've been talking a lot about the patient level. Um, but usually, if you look at the main stakeholders, you have a pharma company who's involved. You have a clinical contract research organization that's involved, and that's usually the company that's responsible for implementing and managing a clinical trial. And then, of course, you have the hospital, so the side level, or doctors and research nurses that are involved. And for each of these different stakeholders, you have this these record-keeping requirements uh, and this document trail uh, that all needs to be managed. And uh, in, in, in very various cases, um, you see a lot of issues uh, with regards to data integrity, uh, lost data sets. Um, there are even some cases of fraud and misconduct. Um, so yeah, again, this is all, uh, these are all uh, possibilities uh, where we see uh, potential implications for blockchain. You know, it, it sounds like right now your competition is the legacy systems that all you need to do is is really use current technology available today and you're competing against legacy systems that have many fractures there and some of them are completely broken and others have been band-aided together they got some new word i just made up they have band-aids on them and fixing them and putting them back together for the day so talk about that a little bit i mean when you're building something that hasn't been done before. I mean, what do you compare? Like, how are you comparing it? How do you how do you design it? You're like, all right, how do we build this thing to make sure that the customer, who's going to be both the the uh, the individual as well as the corporations, that it's good for both of them and it solves the problems. I mean, it's pretty ambitious. Yeah, it's it sure is. Um, I think one of the things that um, that helps us is that we've actually used some of these systems ourselves. We've identified the things that, that, that just did not work. And I think you used a lot of the, the right uh, wording. Uh, some of them are indeed bandaged together. And what you see is that what started off as a simple 
system grew into some monstrous uh, yeah, system that has become so big that it has uh, training requirements of multiple weeks. Uh, so it, it takes an organization uh, more than a month even uh, to know how to use the system. And that's, that's all stuff that we kind of want to uh, um, alleviate by offering a, uh, an intuitive user experience that, that focuses just on the features that are really necessary. Uh, and I think uh, that that might sound very simple uh, and straight to the point, uh, but surprisingly enough, there's a lot of systems in our, in our, current, uh, uh, in our current industry that have become overly complex. That's a that's yeah. a good way of putting it, uh, especially within the healthcare space uh, globally, not just in any specific country, uh, but the systems are very complex. They compete against each other. Even when laws are passed to say, okay, everybody has to play well together, you still have this disconnect. Um, so tell us, how do we learn more about trial? Well, uh, first of all, you can have a look at our website, trial.io, and that's with double L. Uh, we're also very active on our social media channels, uh, including Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. And we also sometimes post a video on YouTube. Uh, so I'm sure that if you uh, Google our name, that you will find us. Thank you again for sharing your story on the Bitcoin.com podcast. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by various guests or sponsors of the podcast are solely their own. They do not necessarily reflect those of the podcast host or the other people, entities, or organizations affiliated with the creation or production of the podcast. The guest and sponsor may consider their information reliable, but others involved in the creation or presentation of the podcast do not warrant the accuracy of guest or sponsor information, and it should not be relied upon. You've listened to another episode of the Bitcoin.com podcast. Subscribe at news.bitcoin.com, where your journey begins.